0: Welcome to Champion Church, the Nazarene's Weekly Sermon Podcast. We live in divisive times, and though it may be hard to admit, the church hasn't always helped to unify. As we continue to be reminded of our calling in Ephesians, we will begin to remember who we are and who we are called to be as United in Christ. One of the things that Ephesians has particularly talked about is really the amazing reality that barriers have come down between people under Christ. We've talked about this in in the weeks previously. But that kind of reality is really hard to, well, see, think that it's even possible in today's day and age. In fact, some have observed that we live in one of the most divisive times in our Country's history. In a poll from this past week, this is past week, off the presses. You ready for this? One in five people in the United States has lost a friendship over COVID 19 and how to properly respond to it. 20%. One in five. So some of you have lost a friend because there's more than five people here because of the response. To COVID 19. In 2020, you ready for this? There's two numbers 39% and 42%. 39% or 42% of people had zero friends who supported the other presidential candidate that they voted for. 39%? I'm not gonna tell you which candidate had a higher one, but think about that for a second. Zero friends. In other words, oh, you vote for that guy, you're not my friend anymore. We have been building in this way. We have been siloing ourselves off from each other more than ever. And you can talk about media, you can talk about uh, you can talk about the rise of conspiracy theories online. You can bring all of it up. But really, at the end of the day, We are the ones who stop the relationship with other people. We are the ones who end up dividing. Oh, you're not going to believe what I believe? See ya. Bye. Not talking to you. In fact, we live in a society in which any kind of permanent tie to others is treated as optional. And we have seen this, not just when it comes to COVID and politics... We see it in the fact that our divorce rate has been high for so many years. Our relationships with one another are seen as optional in our society. The numbers don't lie. And so the hope is the church is better than society, right? In 2019, 66% 66% of adults between 18 and 22 stopped attending the Protestant church they participated in high school. Two out of three. And if the idea is, well, those young people, they just, no, 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 no. I've seen plenty of other generations leave churches over a sermon that stepped on their toes or a person that did this or that. Or they just switch churches. And if we think that the youngest generation is the problem, we have to remember that that generation has been raised by those of us who are older. And kids always do what they learn. Doesn't necessarily, you might say, hey, that's bad, but if they see you do that same exact thing, oh boy. Trust me, I know. I have a one year old who does it all the time. Don't do that. I've seen you do it though, Daddy. Basically, friends, what I'm trying to say is that the picture that Paul gives us in Ephesians that we are to be together, that we are not to have barriers by each other, actually has been ignored. And in fact, the church has been one of the biggest wall builders in society. We have been. We must confess this. And if we're not willing to confess it, then guess what? We're just going to be a part of the problem. The divisions that we have accepted and embraced in the greater society are, beginning, are entrenching themselves in the church. And by the way, that's not even talking about how churches seem to separate themselves based on worship preference and theology and ethnicity and all of the other separations that we separate ourselves from. It is almost like we have forgotten who we are. And so today, as we continue reading in Ephesians, we're going to hear a call to unity by Paul once again. And he's going to call back to everything that he talked about in the very beginning of the letter. I'm just going to review it real fast. Jesus Christ, his will for this world, for this entire universe, is that all things in creation would be united under him, under his lordship. And you know what that means? That means that all people can receive his grace. And if that's true, then there are zero barriers between you and I, zero bar- barriers between Jew and Gentile, zero barriers between white, black, Asian, zero barriers between socioeconomic statuses, what we learned, etc. And so, as he begins the second part of his letter, really the the meat of, hey, this is what life is like in Christ, he starts with this. And he calls the church to be unified. We read in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, these words. Remember, he's starting off the second part of his letter. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. We're going to stop just for a second. This is the guiding principle for everything that Paul is going to share. I'm about to share with you the life that is worthy to be called by Christ. Everything that I'm about to say, take note in your own life. Take note as a church. Take note as an individual. Live as people worthy of the call that we receive from God. Here's what he says. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given His grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why Scripture says when He climbed up to the heights, He captured prisoners, and He gave gifts to people. What does the phrase, He climbed up, mean if it doesn't mean that He had first gone down into the lower regions, the earth? The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that He might fill everything. Those two paragraphs, that's all about Jesus. Jesus came down from heaven, he went back into heaven, and then he sent his spirit back so that we could live in the same power that resurrected him from the grave. That's what that's about, friends. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And his purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ. And until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son, God's goal is for us to become mature adults. To be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth of love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments... The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does their part. Immediately, Paul calls back to the reality that God's will for this place is moving towards unity in Christ. And there are no barriers between people. And if there... If unity is to become the reality, if that is where everything is going, then guess what the people of Christ should be doing? A unifying force in a world that is known by its divisions. I think the one thing, NT, right? sort of commented, and sort of gave a nice word picture. It's almost like Paul is getting out the car manual. How many of you read your car manual when you got it? Yeah, I'm really impressed that nobody raised a hand, good. All right, that's awesome. We don't read the manual, because we, guess what? We know how to drive, right? Just put the keys in, I'll figure out the radio as we go along, the clock can be on central time for the rest of my life, I don't care. You know, those kinds of things. But really, the only time that we consult our vehicles manual is when something doesn't seem to be right, when something pops up, right? And so what Paul's doing here is sort of saying, hey, y'all are living this life, but there's some issues here. There's some divisions happening within our churches. We are defining ourselves by this, that, or these and those. Let's get back to the instruction manual that Christ gave to us. That's really what all this is about. And the three things that he reminds them of is the meaning of their call to follow Jesus Christ the king, that that Jesus Christ, that king gives the grace that equips them to play their part and they have a unity in Christ. It's not a future unity. It is a present unity. And with that, we begin to understand how we are to relate with each other. And he says it so simply. Conduct yourselves with humility, gentleness, patience. Accept each other with love. And make an effort effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. Now, this is when things can go off the rails really easily. Because we think that unity means we're all the same. There is diversity in the church, friends. And he has already taken care of that. The thing that we unite over is not the ways that the world unites over. Whether it be the nation that we live in, or the ethnicity that we are, or the culture that we're used to, or the belief that we have. Rather, it is in Christ. And that is why he so beautifully reminds him, everyone, there is one body and one spirit and one God who has called you in one hope. And there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. The church is united in Christ alone. And with that, we can bring the diversity that we have as individuals together. And we are unified by Christ. That's why he so eloquently says, There are different people that do different things in the church. There's apostles, and there's prophets, and there's evangelists, and there's teachers, and there's pastors. Those are five very different things. If you've never been in church before, I'll just share with you brief definitions of these things. First of all, pastors, which is what you call me, but you might be surprised to find out what a pastor is, is one that cares for the flock. One that cares for people and makes sure that people who have needs are taken care of. That's a pastor. A lot of us think pastors are preachers. No, actually the preachers are other people. There's teachers who who begin to share insights about God and, and what it means for our lives. Paul would be seen probably in this moment as a teacher as he writes this. But then there's apostles, and apostles, they get stuff going. They do the new stuff. Let's do a new thing for God. And they begin to work. And then you have prophets who call the people on their, excuse my word, crap. (laughs) They see the world as it is, and they share how God is different from the world the things that we so accept, the idols that we hold on to. Prophets are the ones who say to them, get them out. And lastly, there's evangelists who go out and share the good news of Christ. The good news that new life is possible. All of these are very different things. All of them accomplish it. And guess what? All of them can live in unity because of Christ. And here's the reality of things, friends. I cannot be the only one doing these things as a pastor. This is for the church. And if the church as a people are not participating with the diversity of ways of doing life in the church, then God's will will not be done. We will not be a part of where God is moving the world. And T. Wright says this, The main point of certain people having special roles is so that every single Christian and the church as a whole may be equipped for their work of service. But the reason why we have such an issue in today's churches is because we are not unifying under the Lord. We are unifying under other things. And I see it all the time. People leave churches as soon as a certain instrument is put on the platform or a certain kind of song is sung. What kind of unity are you looking for? Are you looking for unity of the music that you like or the unity of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has given us one faith? There are people that start brand new churches. And obviously, I'm, I'm completely self-conscious that the church of the Nazarene broke off of the Methodist church way back yonder. They start new churches over specific theologies or the way that they do things or how things are structured. Some people unify around being around the same kind of people. Why is it that we have white churches and black churches and Korean churches and Ukrainian churches and Russian churches? Why is that? But then you get into just the hot topics of today, and guess what? People are uniting over things that even, don't even have to do with church. They're uniting over politics. I'm serious. There are new churches that have been started in the past few years that have cropped up over certain political movements far more than around Jesus Christ. Some Some unite over economics. Some unite over how anti-science are we going to be. (laughs) It's serious. And if you don't understand this, understand that there are people who have left churches in this past year over masks. There are people who have left churches over their pastor not supporting their presidential candidate. There are people who are just ticked off with each other within their church, and they don't talk to each other because they put that post on Facebook. You know what these are? They're idols. They are idols. And it's time we stopped looking to idols to unify ourselves around. It's time that we stopped looking to the world for insight and actually finding ourselves rooted in Christ who is moving us to unity under Him. And it is done by conducting ourselves with humility. Maybe I don't know everything. With gentleness. Maybe I shouldn't write somebody off just because they're different than me. And patience. Maybe we should suffer with people a little bit more than we do. But most of all, we are to be people of love. So, how do you begin to live that way? How do you begin to live that way? It's at the very end. God's goal for us is to become mature adults. Grow up. You're laughing. But there's a lot of us that have not grown up. Growing up means being willing to be open to being wrong. To be willing to say, I have done the wrong thing. That I have indeed participated in the divisiveness of this world instead of being a part of the unifying force in this world. That is Jesus Christ's will for this world. And it can't just be one person in a church. You have a bunch of immature people and, oh, our pastor is so mature. That ain't going to do anything. (laughs) You can have the one saint who's mature. That ain't going to unify people. Maturity involves the community as a whole, not merely just your particular individuals, not just your pastor, your board, your ministry leaders, everyone. And if we do not begin to mature, We will not live into the calling that God has given us. And guess what we'll do? We'll begin to accept plenty of deceitful scheming and misleading tricks by others. We will forget who we are. We'll go thump some political platform rather than seeing the kind of life God has called us to live. We'll treat others with disrespect because they're different than us or they have a problem and we don't have a problem. We all got problems. Quite frankly, friends, The reason why we have been running to idols is because we as a church are not mature. You want to know what the greatest signifier of whether you're mature or not? If you are told truth in love, you're willing to actually consider and accept it and maybe actually change yourself. The greatest signifier of immaturity is, that offends me. Okay, have a nice day. Pastor stepped on my toes. I'm not going to talk to him for months on end. Yeah, that's lots of humility and patience there. This person put this post up on Facebook. I don't know if I can even talk to them or even see them. Yeah, lots of maturity there. If you read my midweek update this past week, you'll know that I talked a little bit about maturity. My daughter has been sick, and because she is hurting in her throat, she wouldn't drink water. That's terrifying as a parent. You need water to live, child. She don't understand. All that she understands is that there is pain when she swallows. You and I understand we are mature, that drinking water... Accepting good things, truth and love, is important to begin to chew on and receive so that we might become better. It's the same exact thing when it comes to the church. If we lash out in anger, if we lash out in impatience, or we just simply cut off relationship, we are no more mature than anyone else in the world. And we sure aren't unifying under Christ. And I have a whole list of things that I was going to list out to y'all. I don't know if I want to. (laughs) But I can tell you this. It's time for us to be a little bit more conscious of what we are subscribing to as Christians. Because if it's not looking like Jesus, it ain't it, friends. And some of us are being held captive by voices that aren't Christian. They act like they're Christian. They're touting to be Christian. There's podcasts and specials and cable news outlets and all these other kinds of things. Stop. You want to know how to act? Act like Christ. And it just so happens that Paul spells it out. We need to be humble and gentle and patient loving and accepting, preserving the unity of the Spirit and the peace that ties us together. We are the one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. May we consciously, intensively, look to be matured by the Spirit. We're never mature. You can be 95 years old and you can be very immature. You can be 5 years old and be very mature. We must always be looking to Christ to transform us. To be the church He called us to be to be his sons and daughters who are bringing forth his will in the world. And what is that will? To bring all things united under Christ. All things. And there are no divisions between us and anything. As we close today, I have a clip from a film that honestly is one of my favorite films of just all time. Um, It's from 1994. Elton John and Hans Zimmer did the music. It's about animals. The Lion King. It's The Lion King, everyone. And if you have never seen the amazing overtone of a Judeo-Christian understanding in the movie, let me share something with you. If you've never seen it before, I'm sure you've seen it, but just in case. There's a father named Mufasa. There's a son named Simba. Mufasa's the king, Simba's the kid. Mufasa dies. Simba runs away. And he begins to live a life running from his past, running from who he is, because if he never addresses it, like the church never addresses its idols, or never looks to become what it was called to be, I'll be fine. I'll just keep on going on. But at the very moment, some things begin to change, and he meets a friend that he had as a boy. And then, one of Mufasa's, the king's, advisors, priests, as you might say, shows up to him one night and he helps him understand who he is. And when you hear the words of this clip, think of Mufasa as God speaking to the church. Would you roll that beautiful bean footage? I think you're a little confused. Wrong. I'm not the one who's confused. You don't even know who you are. Oh, and I suppose you know. Sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. Bye. Hey, wait! You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. (laughs) (laughs) He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. That's not my father, it's just my reflection. No. Look (sighs) how. No, please, don't leave me. Father, don't leave me. Remember who you are. When he says you have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me, I cannot help but think God might say that to the church today because it is one Lord who lives and unifies the church. And how have we forgotten that? We must remember who we are. We are sons and daughters of the one true King, and that King has saved and raised and united us together. And may our lives reflect that. And if we're not willing to do that, we are getting in the way of his amazing kingdom that is coming. And the beautiful thing is that God is just shaking us, just waking us up. He's not abandoning us. He's not condemning us to hell for not being faithful. But I will tell you that when we hear the message clear as day and we ignore it, we're not doing ourselves any favors. Remember who you are. You are a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. May you live in humility and patience and gentleness. May you accept others in love. May we make peace with each other because we are not united by any idol, but rather by Christ alone. And may we be mature enough to live in this way. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast.